Amen. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in song and prayer this morning. Uh, I think we can be appreciative as a church for uh, all those who, who give their gifts and their talents, and uh, we are richly blessed. But today we're going to get even more blessed by reading our Bibles and studying it. So crack open your Bible, Matthew chapter 9. Today we're going to be looking at verses 27 to 34 as we continue on in our journey of studying the life of Jesus as recorded by one of his followers named Matthew. Uh, today as we look at our passage, just a few verses, uh, but quite profound, and they speak to the nature of blindness and sight, and we'll see an account of uh, two men who were physically blind but spiritually had sight to see what was going on. And we're going to see other people who had physical sight, but no sight to see what was going on spiritually in this account. So let's read together Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 to 34. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. And they were calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he, that's Jesus, had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. But Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out these demons. So we're in this passage of Scripture where we see that Jesus is sort of uh, going around and he's performing quite a number of miracles. We saw last week, if you were with us, that he had performed uh, two incredible miracles in the life of two women. One who had a uh, very rare uh, but severe medical condition. And another woman, he intervened in her life as she had died and he resurrected her from the dead. And this all comes out of Jesus' teaching on what it will look like for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And now what he's doing is he's moving on from this couple healings that he performed in the life of these two women, and he goes out into the streets. But clearly with all the commotion that has been happening, I mean, he's just been taken to the sort of religious elite leader's home to heal his daughter. Uh, people are gathering. They're, they're excited. They're anticipating what he's doing. Uh, we see more and more people who are in need of healing and compassion. They're coming to Jesus in droves. And, and we'll see by the time we're, we're through Matthew that, that many, many more people, more than are even listed here, will end up coming to him and saying, Jesus, I need you to do something in my life. And in this case, what we have is Jesus leaving the home of Jairus, traveling out through the streets, and now two more men interrupt him. As he goes on his way, these two blind men say, please have mercy on us. Now, whenever I prepare to preach a message, I like to ask a lot of questions. And, and the question that got pulled out of this for me is, why does Matthew include this here? Everyone knows when you write a good story, you kind of want to finish with a bang. 
right? Like if, if you were going to tell a story, you'd want to uh, hold the twist till the end. Maybe you'd want to finish on a big highlight moment. And here in Matthew, it doesn't appear that he does that. He's going around and, and he's about to shift in what Matthew records from a bunch of miracles to now a new set of teaching and commands that he'll give his disciple over the, disciples over the end of chapter 9 and into chapter 10. So why, I thought, did he record this? I mean, if I was recording down everything that Jesus did, I would have stopped at Jesus resurrecting a 12-year-old girl from the dead. I mean, to me, that seems like the highlight. This seems like the thing that would be the pinnacle to sort of compel people to go and do something. Because that's what we're going to see Jesus does in the next verses that we're going to study next week. So, so I was wondering, like, why? Why, Matthew, would you choose to record this? And as I was going through and considering some possible conclusions, I, I ended that it couldn't just be because he was trying to give a, a sort of chronological timeline of Jesus' life. I mean, he is doing that. He's recording history. He's telling us what Jesus did as he went from here to there to there to there, eventually to the cross and then ascending into heaven. He gives us sort of this whole picture. But, but what why did he include this? Well, it doesn't seem like it would be that because, I mean, he skips over all sorts of other things. We're told even in chapter 8 when we studied that, there, there's this Jesus heals three people, and then it says, and then he just healed a whole bunch more, <laughs> right? Matthew just sort of fast-forwarded and zoomed through a section, and so Matthew clearly doesn't need to record everything, I mean, this book, his gospel is way too short to include three years of, of Jesus' ministry, plus the, the whole Christmas story at the beginning and, and his commission at the end. He, 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 he would need way more space to record everything, but yet he still decided to record this, and, and in my mind, sort of against what I think I would do if I was him. And so what that made me think is maybe this isn't the most impressive miracle, but perhaps it's one of the most significant in this section for what Matthew is trying to get us to see. We have to remember that our projections on Scripture are never where we should base these things in. My understanding of how I would write a story isn't a good lens for me to be able to approach Scripture. Instead, what I have to understand is that while Scripture was written for us or for me, it was not written to me. It was written to a different audience. And that original audience, then, should be the lens through which we view and try to understand this passage. Whenever we're studying our Bible, whether you're doing it at home or we're doing it here at church in this setting or in one of our Bible studies, one of the things we always need to do is to figure out who wrote this book, what their intention was, and what God was trying to reveal through that author's intent as they wrote this passage. So whether it's studying the book of Matthew, looking at Revelation, looking at Genesis, the book of Psalms, all these different literature styles, literary styles, whether it's different uh, time, times and genres, we, we need to kind of figure out, okay, what was the intent and who were they originally writing to? And when we see this, we see that Matthew was writing to a very specific group of people. He wasn't writing to us here and today, his original audience was a group of first century Jewish people 
and brand new first century Jewish Christians. These are people who have come to faith in Jesus because of what Jesus had done, but they view everything through the lens of the Old Testament. And so when we come to passages like this, what's really helpful for us to do is to consider this lens that they're viewing. They're looking at this, this miracle of healing two blind men through a bit of a different lens. And so what helps us to know is that they're writing to those people. The other thing that's helpful for us to remember, again, as we've been going through all of the story of Matthew, we've been seeing that Jesus is, or Matthew's trying to lead people to see that Jesus is king. That he's the Messiah, the chosen one of God who will come from God to establish God's kingdom on earth and rule over all of God's people for eternity. And so we come to this place and understand that what Matthew is trying to do in every instance as he's writing this letter is to get people to go, oh, I see who Jesus is. Oh, I see that Jesus actually is a king. Oh, Jesus actually is the one who's come to fulfill God's promises to his people. Oh, Jesus really is the chosen one. He is the one who's come to save us. And so when Matthew includes this sort of what we might think of as a, a letdown from the last great story, we have to remember that he's obviously telling us to say, hey, look and see who Jesus is. And so when we bring these two things together, the, the understanding of who the original audience is and the intent which Matthew is trying to bring, suddenly something that doesn't seem nearly as important as the story before becomes incredibly profound. What Matthew constantly does all throughout his scripture is he plugs in places stories that tie to the prophecies found in the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah was a book that was recorded on, of these prophecies on behalf of God through a guy named Isaiah to the nation of Israel. And he explains all of these things about what it will look like when the messianic kingdom comes, when the one who is sent by God arrives. And one of the very profound scriptures, which is easy to blow by, but it's tied directly in to what we see today, is found in Isaiah chapter 35. Right in the middle of this beautiful piece of writing, Isaiah says something that will be unique to the coming Savior. He writes this, then, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. One day, the king is going to come. The one who's going to save people will arrive on earth and suddenly the eyes of people will be open and the people who are deaf will be able to hear. Interestingly, if you did a survey of the entire Bible and all of the miracles that are performed, you will not find anyone who heals a blind person except for Jesus. You will find people raise other people from the dead. You will see stories of people casting out demons. You will see all sorts of other ailments and sicknesses and chronic conditions which get healed at the hands of Jesus' apostles or the prophets who came before, but no one else in Scripture has the ability to open the eyes of the blind. When Matthew writes this, he's trying to give a big aha moment 
to us. When he's pointing and saying, when you look at Jesus, do you see who he really is? The reason he, that's the reason he included this story. In fact, Matthew will include stories of Jesus healing the blind five times in his account. And each time we'll see it's connected with what is going on around it to give a profound moment where people who would be reading this letter initially and hopefully us today, the moment where we would say, aha, I now see who he's writing about. When Jesus comes to heal the blind, he demonstrates his love for people. He demonstrates the power that he has. But more than those two things, he reveals that he truly is God in the flesh. He truly is the one who will bring restoration and life to all of God's people for eternity. This is a beautiful story that we have to enter into with that understanding. Because with that understanding, suddenly it allows us to draw out what we can receive from it today. We always want to get to the, what what does this mean for me portion of the Bible? But sometimes we forget that piece. But knowing that, what we're able to do is come into this and see that we really have a juxtaposition of people. We have a juxtaposition of two blind men, and we also have a contrast of two blind men. There's two who were physically unable to see but spiritually knew what was going on, and a whole lot of others who were physically able to see and spiritually had no clue what was happening. So let's start with this idea of these two blind men in verses 27 to 31. We read, as Jesus went on from there, so he's come out of Jairus' house healing this girl. He's gone out. Two men begin to follow him. And they call out, have mercy on us, son of David. And so Jesus goes indoors and the blind men come to him and he asks them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. So then Jesus touches their eyes and he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus then responds and tells them, see that no one knows about this, but they go out and tell people anyways. So we have these two men who, who, who are blind. And blindness in uh, the ancient Near Eastern culture was considered one of the most horrendous of possible tragedies. If it was considered, if you were considered blind, you were considered a person who might as well be dead. And that's because they believed that people who were blind, unless they knew what caused it, were blind because, well, they probably did something wrong. Or one of the gods maybe perhaps was upset at their parents for something and so had given them a blind child. They were seen as a person who would come about and be a real drain on society and a family. And so families would have a whole lot of hatred for their blind children. And so it was not a great condition. And so naturally it makes sense. These guys hear about this man who's coming through town, who's able to heal people in profound ways. Of course they want to come see him. And so they come and they say, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. We're dealing with this big thing that has just left us on the fringes. We're a burden. We might as well be dead, Jesus. Come and heal us. You can hear the desperation in their voice when you know what's going on. But what's amazing to me isn't that they ask for mercy. Of course, who wouldn't in this situation? 
What amazes me is the thing that they say right after. They apply a title to Jesus. They say, have mercy on us, son of David. Son of David. It's a unique title that it makes sense to this Jewish audience who is listening to the the teachings of Matthew. Son of David for them would remind them of their once great king, King David. He was the one who God had set up to help establish the kingdom uh, in Israel. He's known as Israel's great leader, a man who was full of heart for God. They say he's a man after God's own heart. And even though he continually screws up, he continually fails, he continually botches the job personally, politically, and spiritually, he continues to come back to God and and he seeks to do what God would want for the nation of Israel, for God's people. And the prophets told, and God spoke through the prophets and said, one day what's going to happen is I'm going to send my Messiah. I'm going to send this king who's going to come, and he's going to come through this royal lineage. He's going to be a direct descendant of King David. And as we know, if we read the, what we could consider the Christmas account of the story of Jesus in the book of Matthew, that there is this line that's drawn that helps us to understand right at the beginning of the book that Jesus is from this royal lineage. But it goes to be more than just lineage. It really is this title that gets used by the prophets continually, that there will be a son of David who will come and he will bring healing and he will bring hope and he will bring freedom from oppression. He will bring a free and radicalized life set in the name of Yahweh, who is God. The son of David is the one who will come and be king. He really is the Messiah. Matthew picks up on this, and he includes this because these men point exactly to who Jesus is. They get it. They can't see him. And and no, they haven't even been healed by him at this point, but they know exactly who he is. You are the Messiah. Now, this maybe is just the mania. Maybe it's just the exciting uh, stuff that's going on in the crowd. I mean, Jesus is going around. He's healing people. People are are being challenged. He's teaching the political. Let's follow him. Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's see where he's going to go. And so what does Jesus do when these men call on him? He takes them aside. And he sees if they really, do you really believe I can do this? And their response is amazing. Yes, Lord. Not just yes. Not just, I hope, maybe, please, could you? I really hope you got enough little fairy dust to finish off this next magic trick. Nothing like that. They go, yes, Lord. This term, Lord, is the term that we use to mean the master and ruler of someone's life. It's an expression of someone having the authority and power over our lives and the ability to control our destiny. When they turn to Jesus, they don't just acknowledge him as a man who comes from royal lineage. They don't just acknowledge him as this guy who's getting excitement into the street. They acknowledge him as Lord over their lives, even when it seems that nothing has been done for them up until this point. 
And so Jesus responds and he lays his hands upon their eyes and he says, according to your faith, let it be to you. And we see that their eyesight is restored. These two men who were once physically blind but spiritually able to see now have sight in every sense of the word. There's a lot that we can draw even just from here. The question of how do we experience healing and hope in our own lives? Well, the, re- the way that we find healing and hope is by having faith in the person of Jesus. Matthew will go on from this place to build his case for why we should put all of our trust in Jesus, why we can trust him to be our master, to be our ruler, to have control over our destiny. And ultimately, he'll point to the cross and say, the reason we can trust in this man is because he went to the cross for us. How can we experience hope and healing? How can we see what's truly going on on a spiritual plane? We can look to Jesus and view everything through who he is and what he can accomplish. How do we approach Jesus? We see that these these men come with incredible humility. Have mercy on us, son of David, Lord. They recognize their place. They recognize that they don't deserve this, that they don't have any title or claim to the person of Jesus and what he can do in their life, but they still come to him and they lay themselves before him. And even before he does anything, they acknowledge who he is. This is the very same way that we need to come to God. With humility with recognition of who he is. Jesus asks time and time again, who do you say I am? Do you see who I really am? What does that thing you say about me really mean? Do you believe it? Well, these two men did. But Jesus moves on from this place and we see that there will be other people who do not receive. After the healing of the blind men, we see that they go out and and begin to to teach in the community about who Jesus is. And I always think these notes are funny because they're all over Scripture where Jesus says, please don't go tell people about this. And and what do they do? They they run out and they go tell everybody about it. Well, I I, I just want to stop there for a second because I think sometimes that's confusing. Like, why is this recorded and why do these people do it? Well, I think why Jesus, uh, when I understand this in context, why Jesus doesn't have people go out and declare who he is. I mean, Jesus could have been like, great, now that I did this, go tell everybody so everyone comes to me. But he chooses not to. And I think that that's all layered in the fact that even Jesus pulled these guys aside and went in to a quiet room. It's because Jesus doesn't want to be recognized just because of some miracles. Jesus doesn't want to be recognized just because of the press and hype. Jesus wants to be recognized for who he truly is, and he wants that acknowledgement to be done in a place of relationship, of humility, of people recognizing who he is and what he can accomplish. In Psalm 146, verse 8, we read, The Lord gives sight to the blind, and the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, because the Lord loves the righteous. So we have two blind men 
who have spiritual sight. But then we transition to having the other blind men. These ones may have physical sight, but they certainly do not see. In verse 32 to 34, we read this. While they were going out, so these are the men who have just been healed. They're going out. Uh, As they go out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demons were driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed. They said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is only by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And so we have two other responses to the miraculous. The next response after the blind men who truly see are the people who I think kind of have cataracts. They have spiritual cataracts. They sort of see, but not really. I mean, we see that these people see the miraculous uh, teachings of Jesus. They, they knew these blind guys and now go around and see. I don't know how, they, how this all worked. Did everyone go, hey, how many fingers, you know? Uh, and they're like, hey, three. Hey, you got it right. Congratulations. I don't know how this happens, but they affirm that it happens. And they come and they're like, this is incredible because now he didn't just do that, but he, he took a guy who couldn't speak in our community and was acting all wild and crazy. He's demonically possessed. And now this guy's talking. This guy who's never spoken a word in whatever period of time, we don't know, but he's never spoken a word during this time, now is able to get out and say, Jesus healed me. The crowd looks at all that and they go, this is amazing. (laughs) Look at this guy. This this guy's incredible. This Jesus is amazing. Nothing like this has ever been done in all of Israel. They see but not quite clearly. We see that there's no profession of faith. There's no change in the way these people live lives. We, we see other accounts of that throughout Scripture where, where people will see and they'll be amazed and their lives get radically reoriented around the person of Jesus, but not this crowd. They see, but without having clear sight. They know Jesus is amazing. They know there's something to this guy but they don't quite get it. They, perhaps they can't quite get past something. We don't know. It, it doesn't tell us, but, but we'll see that this runs time and time again throughout Scripture where people are amazed. They stand and see Jesus, but not quite clearly. And this isn't just in Scripture. This is in everyday life. I can remember a couple years ago, we were running the Alpha Course here. And I had a, a very interesting conversation. It was very unique. I've run Alpha many different times. I've, I've seen people accept Jesus. I've seen uh, people reject Jesus. But I've never seen what I saw with this one gentleman. As we sat and had a side conversation, he and I, I began to ask him what he thought about God and Jesus after this one particular session. He said, Kyle, I fully believe in God. I believe that there's a God who creates the universe, who's in control of the universe. I believe that he is present. And he said, I, th- I also believe that Jesus is the most incredible man that ever lived. I think not only was he a historical figure, but I believe that he was able to do something incredible. I believe that he performed miracles. And I believe that he showed the greatest act of love that has ever been performed. And I'm hanging on at this point, right? Like I'm leaning across the table. All right, here we are. Here we are. Here it is. And then he said to me, 
but because of the love of Jesus, because of the sacrifice, and because of what he calls me to, I will never accept him. There's things in my life that I do not want to let go of. And so I can't believe. This is the reality, folks. There are those who will see, but will not see fully clearly to the freedom and hope that Jesus can give us. This is something that we should understand as we go and share the message of the good news of who Jesus is. I don't say this to discourage us, but to to allow us to recognize the reality. If this is the response as Jesus faced, we should be prepared that this is the type of response that we should face. But like Jesus, we should go in the full assurance that God is outworking his plan. That he will come to those and there will be those who receive and see clearly. There will be those who have cataracts and there will be those who reject him. It's not our job to sift through. It's not our job to label and judge. It's simply our job to bring the good news and the message that he is the Messiah, that he is king, and that he is the Lord of our lives. And so we see that there's those who see clearly, there's those who see but not clearly, and then there's those who are just plain blind. In verse 34, we see the Pharisees' response. They say, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus is performing the most miraculous of things. And they look at him and they go, this isn't who we're looking for. In fact, he's the total opposite. We're looking for the Messiah, and this guy's not it. He's actually mimicking it. He's disguising it. He and all that he is doing that you declare good is actually demonic. This is one of the reactions of how people will see Jesus. Not just with some opposition, but fully blasphemous, able to say, no, I see who he is, and I do not understand the truth. It's not their words, but that's what they say. As we study this passage, we have to begin to see what Matthew is laying out. I think what he did is he took a historical account of something that happened, and he sees how it's connected to the teaching of his initial audience. And he wants to draw us in, and he wants us to follow that line of thinking and and follow these different responses. And he wants us to end on a question. What do you see? When you look at Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge that it is. God, what a confrontation. Not just of those Pharisees, but of our own hearts and our own minds. Lord God, that you would through Matthew, challenge us to consider who you were and to actually declare it, both in public and in private. Lord God, that you would care about how we respond. God, I pray for those who are here today who who see, Lord God, would we become more passionate for it? Would you continue to provide us ongoing clarity? Holy Spirit, would you continue to reveal in your word uh, more about who you are so that we could see and believe in you? 
Lord God, for those who are here and maybe they acknowledge that, 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 that you are alive and perhaps active and, and, and they have some sense of who you are, Lord God, I, I pray that you would, 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 would peel away the cataract and give them a new lens to see. Holy Spirit, would you restore the sight to the blind in this place today? Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here who recognizes that they need you, that they do not see clearly, Lord God, would they come to the cross today? Would they call out, have mercy on us? And would they receive the good news that you have already gone to the cross, that you have already died for their sin, and that you will provide a life-giving relationship for eternity? Lord God, for all of us who see, would we go out boldly into our community and declare the wonderful things that you have done in our lives and the lives of those around us? Will we be people who are passionate about the wonderful news of the God who is in control, the God who has the ability to heal, the God who has such immense love that he would come into relationship with us when we don't deserve it? Lord God, will we not be discouraged when we hear stories of people who do not see clearly, but Lord God, will we trust and know that you are doing your plan? God, will we know that sometimes we're the people who plant the seeds, sometimes we're the people who water it, and Lord God, would we also get to be on occasion the people who get to harvest it? Lord God, we thank you for who you are and what you accomplish. We thank you for the promise of your word, for the hope that it gives us. And Lord God, now as we respond to you in song, Lord, would we declare the truth of your love, the truth of who you are, and would you be brought all the glory? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.